Well, good morning, everybody. Um, and um, I'm, I'm happy to be able to join y'all, nothing at the least, through the internet. Um, and thank you, uh, Pastor Jonathan, for, um, you know, your introduction and, and of course, your friendship. Um, they've been very kind. And throughout this COVID thing, they've allowed me to hold up in their home, sharing uh, their resources. So in one essence, you saved my life. <laughs> so you've done a great uh, deed, even, you know, at least for me, as I consider um, but, uh, I'd like to go ahead and just, uh, open up with a short word of prayer and, uh, we'll go ahead and go into it. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, we ask that at this time now that you would open our hearts, um, open our minds, our ears and our eyes to be able to see your truth. Help us to encounter you. We ask that you would pour your presence out upon us, that you yourself would teach us now that you yourself would speak to us in whatever means and whatever ways you desire. Lord, allow us to be able to taste the sweet fruit of what of the relationship you granted to us um, through the work, through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, uh, we'd like to give you this time, and we ask that you take it and you glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. This is actually a, a passage um, that I've actually preached on several times. Um, I've actually preached on it in parts of the world where uh, pre-COVID, they are actually, uh, they don't have much. Um, parts of the world where there's no electricity, there's no running water, no modern conveniences or comforts that we're naturally used to. And one of the reasons why I sense that the Lord had um, laid this passage upon my heart to, to share, not just with you, but even into these other regions, is because I think that God wants us to know that He knows what we go through. He knows our frailties. He knows our, our, our fragile moments. He also knows what we need. He knows our physical conditions. He knows um, our limitations, and He also knows our desires and our hearts. Um, and I think that, that this passage is fascinating for that because uh, historically, what's amazing is each time I read it, there's something else that pops up. And um, in this land of, for instance, this land of Zarephath, it's a village that's on the coast of modern-day Lebanon. And uh, in that region of the world, that area was actually the most fertile. So it's a, it's a wet or dry season. It's not a four-season land like we're used to, but they were actually dependent on the rains during the rainy season. And then when it was dry, uh, everything just dries up and dies and turns into like a barren land. So they depended on the rains to come. And in this text, what we know about this famine that they were going through was that it was it was three and a half years, three and a half years with no sustenance. And what's fascinating about the fact that this was happening in Zarephath was that in Zarephath, this being on the coastal area, that area received the first amounts of rain whenever the rainy season come in. So they were actually the most prosperous in one sense. They had the most fertile land. And to know that Elijah was sent to this area where a woman, you know, he was told there's a widow that I've commanded to feed you. And he went there and what he found was this widow that's gathering up sticks. And pretty much what she was about to do was take the last bit of flour that she had, need a you know, piece of bread and literally just die. So that kind of indicates to us how bad this famine was how bad their situation of life was. And in the midst of it, we see that God has actually started to unfold a deeper plan, a 
plan that would blow away her mind as well as probably Elijah. Uh, there's aspects of what God does, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of um, something, something as detrimental as what we're going through right now in pandemics. The Lord does something wonderful and powerful to reveal to us more of himself. So um, uh, we'll start. I want to go ahead and start unfolding that, uh, going into that. Um, one of the aspects, as uh, John, Pastor Jonathan had, had indicated, I'm a missionary. And one aspect of being a missionary was that um, when I was in seminary, I actually wanted to, uh, the, the question was, you know, what do you want to do, right? Everyone was talking about what do you want to do after seminary? People want to be pastors. Other people want to be professors. Um, and, you know, other people want to be missionaries. And when I was first asked that question, I actually didn't want to do any of those things. I actually never wanted to be in ministry. Uh, it just, it's not what I wanted to do. I actually was a former, I was a, I was in law enforcement before I came into the ministry and I had a business on the side and I, life was great for me. I enjoyed my life thoroughly and I had everything that we would deem, you know, in one sense, the American dream. I wasn't wealthy, but I had enough and um, I had everything that I wanted. I loved my job and I loved the, the prospects of our business. Everything was great. Um, when I came into the ministry, all those things disappeared. So one question that I had um, that was that was literally in my mind was I had the sense of Christianity. I believed in Jesus Christ, but I was wondering, you know, how real is this? And I started to think if Jesus is real, if this Jesus really did rise from the dead and he really is the son of God, then we should be able to see his work all around the world. We should be able to see his fingerprint of his goodness, of his power, right, all over the world. So I told people I wanted to be able to see um, his fingerprint. I wanted to see the reality of his work. I wanted to see what he was doing, not just in one small area, but everywhere. And so um, that's how my mission journey started. And one thing that I've come to realize is that it's a bittersweet thing and seeing the work of the Lord. And what I mean by this, what I mean by that is this. Um, I was expecting to see God implement goodness or blessing under the language that I understood or under the language that we understood, which means that people, when they're given social benefits, right, when their lives are blessed, I'm thinking in terms of blessing that we can see, tangible circumstantial blessings, so that their cycle of survival is preserved and then and then benefited and and, and instituted for the rest of their lives, right? So it means that they'll get their salaries, they'll get food, they'll have homes, they'll have all these different things that are creature comforts in one sense, but I consider them blessings. So in my mindset, I thought, this is how God blesses. This is how we see the blessings of God. And some of us might say, well, yeah, but you know, there's more to it. And I would say, yeah, there's more to it. But instinctively, I wonder, instinctively for me, what I come to realize is that I didn't believe in the moral. That's what I wanted to see. That's what I considered to be the blessing of God, that he would bless us with physical, tangible, circumstantial proof of goodness. And what I saw was something very else, something else. Um, one of the one of my trips out, I was sent. I was sent, uh, the Lord had sent me to this one village. It's a village area. It was the last time I had actually been. It was in the country of Burma. And uh, I went and it was in this one region of uh, a tribal region is very remote. And this was about four years into my ministry. 
And I just started getting tired. And one of the reasons why I'm saying that is I just got tired because what I saw was there's so much poverty out there. So many people out there that don't have. There's so much illness and so much, uh, so much infirmities. And a lot of times, the most I could do is simply pray for them or try to encourage them with the word of the Lord, you know? And eventually I started to kind of wear on me. I started to say, you know, I feel guilty half the times when I come back home, when I come back to the States and see that what all we get to enjoy, I feel guilty. And so I told the Lord this last trip, I was like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing here. Why do you keep sending me to these places? What is the point of all this? One, I'm uncomfortable. I don't like, I, you know, I don't like third world conditions. I don't like not having plumbing. I mean, I'm having to take a bath in a trough, you know, with like dirty water that's got like bugs crawling around in it. And, you know, this is how some people over there bathe. I was like, and, you know, I'm, I'm tired of being scared of eating food that, you know, we, we would consider less than sanitary and yet they could eat it and I couldn't. So I'm always scared that I'm going to get sick, you know? And I told Laura, I was like, I'm just, I'm tired, you know? And um, there's no air conditioning there. There's no heating. This one village, there's nothing. It's literally like they, the women will get up early in the morning and they'll go to this one well they have and they draw their water like Bible times to be able to use for, you know, the rest of their days. And so I told the Lord, I was like, why am I here? What am I doing? What is the point of what I'm doing? And um, uh, about a week after I said this prayer, I went to this one village, it's called uh, Ruva B. And at this village, I was preaching throughout the villages. And I was preaching from Colossians, talking, um, you know, funny enough about the supremacy of Christ. And it was from Col uh, Colossians. And, but when I went into this village that night, I was supposed to preach. And the Lord had um, moved me. The Spirit had moved me. He's like, you know, I want you to preach on suffering. And um, I told, I responded, you know, I, I don't, I didn't prepare anything on suffering. I prepared on the supremacy of Christ. And with our education, where we were trained, we were always trained, never preach from, you know, from the cuff without having something prepared, you know, take adequate time to pray and study, use your resources. And I didn't have anything prepared on that. And so I didn't know if that was the Lord. I was like, maybe this isn't God. But just in case, I was, you know, I was thinking, well, if it is the Lord, maybe I should just obey. And so the last sermon I ever preached on suffering was from 1 Peter 5, and I preached it. Um, and just as I thought, uh, because I hadn't prepared properly, it was like one of the worst sermons I've ever preached. It was horrible. You know, stuttering all over the place. Uh, I was like, I was missing points. I was forgetting stuff. You know, I was trying to stammer back. It was awful. And then on top of that, I'm speaking through a translator. So now he has to try to listen through my stuttering to be able to translate the message to these people who are so eager to see a foreigner come to their village. And I was like, you know, this is horrible. I can't believe I did this. And so that night after the uh, service, I was upset. And I was just like, you know, I just keep making mistakes. This, this is bad. And then the next morning, uh, when we go to the villages, I usually stay at a host house. So one person from the village will volunteer to take us in and you know and i'll live like them and it's a great opportunity for me because i get to see how they live and and you know and be able to appreciate um their form of life and so the host that we were staying at she had come the next morning and she actually thanked me for the for the sermon so i thought she was just being nice you know because just kind of like what we do I'm, I'm, I'm kind of from the south and in the south 
we just call you just always just nice you know even if it was bad you just say hey, it was a great job you know you just don't want to hurt someone's feelings so i was just being nice and just kind of you know and i told her i was like you know thank you but i know i did a bad job it's you know i'll give, I'll, I'll give you a better sermon tonight is <laughs> what i told her and she literally tells me she goes no you don't understand uh your sermon was very powerful and i was like what do you mean and she had said that a couple months before I had arrived um, to that village, she went up into the mountains and she was praying, fasting and praying for um, several days, praying and asking the Lord why there is suffering in her village. Because people who are sick, there are people who, people who have no work. I mean, these people are agricultural people. They go into the fields and whatever they're able to harvest, that's what they eat. And she was asking the Lord, um, why? Why is there suffering in our village? We call out to your name. Why is there suffering in our village? And she said about like the, uh, after the third day, um, the Lord had come to her and the Lord had told her that very soon a man from a very far away land, he will come and he will stay in your house and he will give you all the answers that you're seeking. And by faith, she sat there and took that as a word from the Lord. And she, you know, went back to her house and waited. What's fascinating about this story is that I'm the first foreigner ever in her village. And I had stayed in her house. She didn't even know I was coming. She had no idea. And she said that when I preached that sermon that night, that regardless of what my performance was, she said, everything that I had said, which I have to say is by the power of the spirit, answered every single one of her questions that she was praying and asking God for. And I just, I was dumbfounded and she was smiling, you know, and why I was so dumbfounded is one, she had this immense joy and peace in her. Right. And then I noticed her village as she shared this story to their village about God's interaction, about God's promise that, you know, he, at the very least, his presence would be given to us. Right. Something happened. There was no circumstantial change. It wasn't like I brought bags, bags full of money or brought some form of technology to help them in their plight. No, all I did was sit there and bring, you know, uh, uh, listen to what I thought was a hunch, which evidently was the spirit moving and give them a word from the Lord. And through that, the Lord gave his presence to them. And in that moment, everything had changed for them. It was not a matter of something circumstantial or tangible for them. It was something beyond. There was something that opened up in their lives that created a greater sense of joy than anything that I could have imagined bringing could have done. And I think that was the same story that's happened here in this widow Zerpath. This is a widow who, you know, sat there and lived her life out. She was, she had a young, you know, I don't know how old her son was. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I couldn't find the information on that, but she had a son, she's a widow. In a, in a time in an area of, of the world where as a woman, as a single mother, you're actually very vulnerable. You know, men had most of the power. They had all of the resources. So if you didn't have a man in your life, I mean, consider how vulnerable you were. So she was eating out a living, right? Some kind of imagination. Maybe she, just, maybe she was just possibly making it, providing for a son. And all of a sudden, boom, this famine hits. And it gets to the point where she can't even, she can't even, um, you know, feed her, feed her own little family that she was feeding before. And, you know, and when Elijah comes and when the Lord sends his man over there, 
she's you know she's told by him that he's gonna sit there and give her you know that that her food's not gonna run out right here's a woman who was totally in a, in a position of, of vulnerability and on top of that the little that she had was not taken from her and now she's faced with a famine that was plaguing everybody right and in the midst of that plaguing everybody she sat there and considered well you know what what now and as this man came she started eating miracle bread and miracle oil in one sense you can might think wow she had received the normalcy of what she was used to right and her life was resuscitated back to what she had but maybe even more tangibly because she's eating well she's able to feed her son and then on top of that she's hosting this this prophet who most undoubtedly was probably telling her about the wonders of god that he knew right so life is one sense resuscitated to a level maybe greater than what she had before then all of a sudden, the Lord sits there and causes an illness to come upon her son. But there you don't see any sense of anxiety in her. And a lot of times I kind of wonder, why does she not cry out sooner? I think maybe because she's eating miracle bread. And she's like, you know, she had a form of faith that was growing. So, well, why would God come and save our lives just to take my son? But then her son dies. And in that moment of tragedy, we see something happen. Her faith and her level of reality pops it's literally wiped away and in that moment she cries out to elijah and says you know why did you come here is it to remind me of my sin and i think that's a funny response because a lot of us do that how many of us say when tragedy or something negative happens in our life eventually we might start thinking maybe we did something maybe maybe there's something wrong we did maybe we're not you know we did we committed some kind of moral failure and god is punishing us right this is what she says but instead, now we see something that, that happened, something beyond what could any imagination have, have construed, even Elijah himself, that he takes his son up and his sister cries out to the Lord and the Lord resurrects this woman's son. And then even something more powerful happens. And that is not just the fact that she got her son back, but she says at the end of this passage, now I know that the word you have spoken about, your God, right, is true. At the beginning of this passage, in the middle, middle of the passage, she says, you know, she tells Elijah, your God, right? Even when her son dies, she says, you know, did you, you know, were you, did you come to remind me of my sins? You know, did your God, there was no claiming of knowing who this God is, right? She heard of him, obviously, and she said, God of Israel. But now at the end of this, she's now encountered him personally. And it went, and the blessing of that went beyond anything that was circumstantial she tasted the circumstantial power of god creating a transformation of her tangible needs right into something that was now uh, uh reliant and reliable and resilient but she tasted something even more a direct personal encounter with the living god where she's able to say now i know that what you you know the word that you spoke of your god this lord god is true why I want to say that, my brothers and sisters, is this. I've hear a lot of times in the midst of this COVID pandemic, a lot of people saying, you know, they want to go back to the normal. They want to go back to the normal. We just want to be able to go out and have our normal lives. And that's not a bad thing, not at all. But for us who are in Christ, right? But for us, when we heard even last week about the fact that our Lord, Jesus Christ, whom we believe, who lived over 2,000 years ago and was crucified and has raised again, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father, meaning that he rules all things with his hands, right? That 
the one who commanded this widow to feed Elijah without even telling her, and then it was done. This is the same person that with his, with however way he works, however way his thoughts are, all he has to do is utter forth and existence obeys. This is the power of our God. And we're saying that Jesus Christ is this God and that he rose again, right? And we were told last week that the gospel creates transformation in our lives. Well, I want to present a challenge to you. And it's a challenge to me as well, because I'm looking here in someone else's home, right? What is going to happen next, right? But the question that reminds us, are we looking to go back to the normal? Or are we looking to see maybe the resurrection? Are we looking to merely be resuscitated back into the normal flow of our cycle of survival, right? Or are we looking to really taste this resurrection that we were told about at Easter that creates transformation, a resurrection that is not only just for a mere moment of the few measly years that we have in this physical life, but goes into eternity that dives and pokes at teasing us with the reality that's coming that will last forever. And that's beyond anything we can imagine. And it's tethered to the power of our God. And this God is the all-powerful one, the only God who created all that we see, who has the power and the immensity to be able to do anything he desires. And he himself promised that what he does, he does for the good of those that believe him. Are we seeking to go back to the normal of what we did yesterday? Or do we want to stir up a hunger to see what does resurrection holds now? Because resurrection doesn't mean just something that happens you know, in the future. Right? In one sense, resurrection, it's a tangible work that happens now. Are we willing to sit there and ask the Lord, Lord, this is something that you promised us. We want to be able to taste it now. Portions of it. The kingdom has come by the coming of him, right? And we wait for it to fully be in, 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 invoked. But now we're asking, Lord, are we wanting to see the transformation, the transformative power of the gospel? And what does that look like? And I'll tell you, my brothers and sisters, I don't know, right? I don't know how to describe that with vocabulary. Jonathan was asking, Pastor Jonathan asked, you know, well, how do we grasp that? And I myself said, I don't know. But one thing I can say is this, I've seen it. And what I mean by I've seen it is in that village and in other villages around there that have tasted the resurrection power of this Jesus Christ, I have seen something that's beyond what I could imagine. I told you guys, I'm not, I don't like discomfort. And these are areas with none of the creature comforts that we enjoy. And yet there was a power of life in the midst of them that was so unbelievable. I was wanting to stay there just so that I can sit there and, and enjoy it and experience with them. What I saw were smiles and joy. What I saw was peace. I saw that God had provided their physical needs. They weren't eating steak every night, but they had enough to eat. And they shared without grumbling or complaining, but it was a natural flow of their life. And nobody was lonely because everyone's identity was intertwined with one another. And most importantly, they were, it was intertwined with Christ. You go to this land, I tell you, they will tell you about who Jesus is with smiles on their face. And they will tell you faithfully about all these wonders of God. And I was just, I was blown away. And why I was so blown away was that there was a reality what our Lord said. The promise that our Lord gave was that he said, I come to give life and life abundantly. 
It's not prosperity based upon what the world says, based upon our physical possessions. It's not based upon our bank accounts. It's not based upon our intellectual capacities or our social positioning, but rather it's based upon something beyond, something more, something that we all hunger for, real, true life. Jesus Christ offers us real, abundant life, and it's tethered in him. And it's tethered, and it's been made known and made possible and opens us up because of his resurrection. So yes, indeed, the gospel does bring transformation. But even more so, it brings transformation that begins now. At the point we start to believe in this Jesus, we begin to relate to him. And if we're relating to him, that means he's relating back to us. That these kinds of experiences, seeing the reality of what the mark of the Lord's hand does, even in this poor village, what I saw was that this is something that goes beyond religious language. What I didn't go, I thought I was going to get help them to give something for them because I come from a prosperous land and I have, in one sense, greater abilities than them. And I thought I was going to help them. And instead, I went and they helped me. And what they helped me was they helped me to see the reality of the gospel goes beyond the physical. It goes beyond what we hold on to. And it goes into the very hand that reaches out to us that is the hand of God. We as believers were saying we want to present Christ. What are we looking to present? Christ who will preserve our cycle of survival or Christ who will sit there and give the life of God? My brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, this is something that happens over and over again. This widow is their path. The, the, the most horrible thing that could happen to her happened to her. And in the response, God opened up a whole new way of life. It happened with Lazarus, Mary and Martha. It happened with the apostles. It happened through 2,000 years of church history. I ask you, as I, I look to close, are we looking that in the midst of this pandemic, are we looking to ask God to simply resuscitate us back to the normal? Or do we dare to ask God, let us taste his resurrection? Let us taste his resurrection and see what that is and let that be unfolded into the world. Let us bear forth the life of Christ, truly the abundant life that he offers. What does it look like? What is it like? Well, there's only one way to find out. Let us ask him and ask not for resuscitation, but resurrection. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, we ask, indeed, in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of so many people's uncertainties and their different motion, modes of sufferings, Lord, I pray that you would come, that you would bring healing, and that you would uh, help us. But I ask, Father, that you would not help us to go back to the normal of what things were like before, but help us to taste you. Help us to be able to experience your resurrection power. Help us to be able to experience you who are beyond our imaginations. Help us to be able to enjoy our relationship to you and in return your relation to us. Let us be able to enjoy your presence. Let us be able to encounter you. Oh Lord, you said that anything we ask in your name, you would grant. So we ask, Lord, that now you will allow us to know the power of your resurrection. Not just me or just one or two, but all of us. We ask this in the name of your son. Jesus Christ.